0: Well, I titled the sermon, the, the Transforming Life. Not the transformed life. We can't say that yet, right? Well, I guess in part. We have been transformed and we are being transformed. Be being transformed was the call in verse 2. So today, Paul just gets out the shotgun and he brings it in love to believers in Rome and to us today with a blast of command after command after command. And initially when I wrote up my sermon notes, you should have seen it, I think I had 13 different points and graciously the Lord helped me pair that back so that we would be blessing and not cursing you today (laughs) with uh, this sermon. So, but buckle up, we're gonna move through these things and I'm praying that the Lord will just build these commands out for us together as we enjoy this time in his word. Before I get to the commands, I feel it is so important. Just remember now, we are in application mode. 12 through 16 is application. And I never want to, especially if you're just showing up at our church, I never want you to come in and think that we are here self-helping, right? Just becoming better you's, uss. We, We are being changed. We are being changed, but that change is a gospel-rooted change. So I wanna say from the outset, every single command that Paul gives us today is impossible to obey but for drawing from the reality of Jesus Christ and his work and his victory and his life that he gives and he alone. He is the righteous one, we are not. Left to ourselves, if we walked into these commands and we did not, first bow before king jesus we gain nothing the world might even applaud god is not impressed we must have roots that sink into the gospel before the fruits on display in our lives are meaningful and substantive and real so with that in view let's move into these commands and let them lead the way here today We are being transformed, and God has set out through the gospel and his word to transform all kinds of things. Number one, how we love, transforming how we love. Verse nine, a simple little command, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine, real. Oh, so much of our before Christ life, before he got a hold of us and changed us, it was fake. It was fake, it was fraudulent. It was all about presentation. It was about facade, right? We would hold up the mask and we would wear it. And at times, even in love, it would be like, I love you, not really, right? I mean, this, this thing, and we all know what it's like. We have all done this. When love is hypocritical, when love is kind of a false front, Is it genuine love, real, sincere? The word here uh, denotes a lacking of pretense or hypocrisy. Love is to be genuine. That is from the heart. We are to love from the heart. It is a love that's chosen. It is a love that's sourced from the way we've been loved by Christ. Not that we deserved it. He loved us anyway. You heard the call to worship. And so we love. But that love can't just be the switch of of empty words. It has to bubble over from the gospel and flow out of a heart that's changed. We are called to love in genuine fashion. Why would this not take place? Well, fake love or false love will spring out of this. Even in the church. If you are ignoring issues, problems, you have a conflict with someone, and you just leave it unchecked. You don't speak up. Someone says something. They step on your toes. They do something that offends you, and ooh, but you don't do anything with it. You just hold it. Refusal to forgive. When I came to this church in 2008, there were were two couples, and they Attended this church. They were members of this church. In fact, I believe they were late related But they could not stand one another and they were holding grudges visibly so and I remember going to the elders and saying what is going on with this and they said oh, it's been like that for years and We had work to do because we love the sheep we got involved and sadly one of those couples hit the door because they would not Obey this command, sourced from the gospel. As you have been loved, love. As you have been forgiven, forgive. Genuinely, from the heart. Don't harbor resentment. A Christian who harbors resentment is an antonym. That's that's completely denying the very life and love that we testify to. Envy, jealousy can stir up, gossip, slander. Just, just the basic dislike of someone who's very different than you. Different personality. Someone who just kind of grinds you the wrong way. Oh, how easy it is to walk in on a Sunday morning and throw the switch. Hey, how was your week? I hope it was awful. <laughs> it, it was, it's it's in it, like, let us not be like that. Love is to be real not a switch that we throw. We are not called to be mask wearers, hypocrites, as it were. We are called to be real people. And if there are issues, then we do what is needed to be done because love is a command. It's a command. What is in your heart for your brothers and sisters in this room matters to God. It's a big deal. And our unity, as we talked about last week, is connected to this as well. If I give all I have away, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. These are remarkable verses. Now, they're familiar, and so sometimes that familiarity will, will kind of make them less impactful. Don't let that happen. Think of this. That if I... If, if I were to take your place in front of a firing squad and say, no, 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 no. I will perish in that person's place. But I did so lacking love for the person that I'm taking place with. God says, I'm not impressed. You gain nothing. That's how big love is. I mean, you can... You can bleed out and die for naught if your heart is hard. So, I mean, if that's the case, sometimes the Lord gives us these extreme examples to show us how trite and, and fickle our selfish hearts are. That's why we are being transformed. Oh, friends, we are coming from where we were. And we are coming into the heart of God. We are coming to reflect his love in ways that the world will be boggled by. They don't understand it. What kind of love would do that? The love of God. The kind of love that saved me from the fires of hell by sending his son to die in my place. Hmm. Peter says it this way, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls For a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. A fervent love for one another. Not a cold love, not an indifferent love, but fervent love. On a Sunday morning, this is visible, friends. I see it every Sunday. I see it. We need to see it more. More of this, right? We're family. This is... We are a family forever. And when you walk in and you see a family member that you haven't seen all week, fervent love from the heart is going to show itself. Remember though, this is a command. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that we have to work at this. This isn't just naturally occurring. We are to coordinate with, cooperate with the Spirit of God who moves in our hearts so that we love like this because it's not natural. It's certainly not instinctual to that that echo of the sinner in me that wants it to be about me, not about others. When you walk into church on Sunday morning, just pay attention to your focus. If it's in, 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 then there's work to be done on this command. If you walk in and you're like, hey, oh, 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 right? That's That's what God's calling us to. You walk into church, you don't want to say, here I am. What you want to say when you walk in is, there you are. That is a mark of maturity. That is a mark of love. That's what he's calling us to. Be outward, from the heart, love. Let love be genuine. He goes on. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Now, What's fascinating is that at first glance, you might say, well, these are completely separated commands. And I think they work that way as well. But I don't think they're totally separate. I think this is a part of love. And it's a part of love that our time needs to reinforce greatly, even within the church. Part of love is hate. Do you feel this? There is in love automatically hate. The more you love someone, the more you will stand vehemently against the things that threaten that someone. God loves His holiness and His glory, and He hates sin. We love God, and He calls us to hate evil. Why? Why is that important? Why is that a part of love? Well, It's the opposite of it. It interrupts it. It distorts it. It it dements it. It turns it ugly. It steals it. So part of what we're called in genuine love is to hate that which is evil. What does false love look like? False love wearing the mask? Well, it's, it's, I know, you know, my children, they mean well, um, but they are choosing a path of sin. But we love them. We just love them. We're not going to we don't want to judge them. Like, we're going to tolerate it. To ignore, to tolerate, or to excuse sin, let's be clear, it's not love. That's not love. One of the reasons so many churches have caved on the topic of homosexuality is because they think that they are erring on the side of love. That is a false dichotomy. You do not love when you endorse someone's sin. You don't. You hate them. And if that sin is going to lead them to eternal damnation, that is a horrific kind of hatred. And to write it off as love. It's almost as insane as saying that taking a baby's life in the womb is a matter of choice and convenience. We've gotta be clear on this, friends. This will show up in all kinds of different ways. Well, don't judge, don't judge. It's not loving to judge. That's not what God says. He says, abhor evil, hold fast to what is good. Cling to it. So, it's a holy love that we're called to, a holy love. Never to choose, well, I, I, you know, I'll let this slide because um, I love them. No. If we love one another, if we love one another, then sin matters. And Matthew 18 has has even more loving reason to be par- practiced day by day, week by week. I love you. And when you responded this way, when you said this, when, when you keep doing this, it's harmful. It's sinful. It's, you're hurting yourself. I feel like If I don't speak up, I'm not loving you. I care about you too much to not say anything. Love, holy love. And the clinging to what is good, holding fast to what is good is also important. Don't call it love when you pull back from the commands of God. One of the things that we do here is we preach about sin and wrath and repentance of sin. (laughs) That's loving because that is what is right and true and good. Grace and truth go hand in hand. To be clear, grace is never an excusing of sin or a, a belittling of sin or a minimizing or just writing it off. Sin is always in view, and God treats it as horrifically as, it, as he sees it. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross. All this grace came at a cost. Wrath, suffering, bleeding, dying. So when we show grace to someone, we're not saying, oh, I know they're, they're, they're doing this, but I'm just gonna show them grace because I love them. Don't pit grace and love against one another. Don't ever excuse sin and call it showing grace. We want to love one another with grace and truth. So what is grace? Well, forgiveness. Sometimes grace is bearing with one another when they're different from me, but, but if they're sinning against me, then I don't just write it off be like, oh, I'm not gonna say anything. It's just, you know, it's just grace. Well, you need to speak up. You need to love. Grace and truth go hand in hand. Jesus modeled this so well. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Christian, that's a command that has everything to do with love. That's love in this day. How can we as believers love our country? Do we just say, well, you know what? Let's just let everybody do whatever they want. Let's just let sin abound so that grace can abound all the more. No, we speak up, not just in the church, but vocally in the public square. That's wrong. That's, not, that's wrong. God says that that will, in, Incite wrath and judgment from him. Don't do that. It's wrong to take the life of a baby in the womb. Right? Homosexuality is a sin. And, and if you give yourself to that, you will perish in your sin forever in wrath under God's righteous judgment. So take no part in the fruitful, unfruitful works of darkness. Don't call that love to be like, oh, we're, we're tolerant. That's not love. The holding that follows the hating, the hating of sin, let's be clear, hating of sin, the opposing of of those who give themselves to it, that is sinners, We, we stand against sinners for sinners. Don't forget that. That's one of the reasons we're saved, because someone saw our need and they spoke up. They came against us for us. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure and lovely, what is commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, then dwell on these things. Think about these things. Hold fast to these things, even in the dark when times get tough. We stand out in this way, friends. We will stand out all the more in the the days ahead. In this state, this church, we're going to be standing out if we love the people who live in Washington the second command comes transforming how we relate so transforming how we love transforming how we relate love one another with brotherly affection what a beautiful word this is brotherly affection the word in the Greek is this Philadelphia Philadelphia isn't that cool? The city of brotherly love. That traces back to this, this beautiful word. It's brotherly love and devotion. It's a call to not just love in the, the way that he described from the heart genuinely with hating evil and holding fast to the good, but, but also like family. We, we love one another because we're family. The Christian is called into community, not into isolation. And uh, that drum can never be hit enough, I believe. That, that is an important beat to hear as you walk through this life. I'm not alone. I am not to be alone. When I am alone, I am vulnerable in ways that I should not be. When I am alone, I am not helpful in ways that I should be. We are not isolated as Christians, but oh, as Westerners, it's easy to live in isolation, isn't it? We are called into a community, into a family. That is where our faith, that is where our joy, that is where our gifts and and all that we covered last week, that's that's the context for the love. As we love God and we love others. The family of God. It's more than acquaintance, it's more than friendship. Think about this. It's commitment, partnership, perseverance. It's a selfless, steady, and I like even the word stubborn. It's even a stubborn love. I am not going to quit on you. I love you. You're my brother. You're my sister. Tenacious love like family. Love with loyalty. Don't quit and walk away. Oh, over the years, too many people have done that. Too many. Seems like the easy way out. Divorce culture echoes even in the church, right? That's just easier to walk. We'll just find a new church, man. Just find a new church. Sick of that pastor? Find a different guy. What's amazing is the the, the carousel of Wakem County. You can ride the carousel your entire life in this county. Stay in one church long enough just to find all the things that that that, that tick you off enough to leave and then you leave, it's not love. It's not love. Now, let me be clear, there is a time to leave a church. When that church leaves the word, when that church is not faithful to this book, run, run away. But don't quit on your family. Do the work that real love requires. Pray it through, draw upon the gospel, confess, forgive, reconcile, hug it out and move forward in love. I get to witness this from time to time in my office. Two people upset, sometimes married, sometimes friends, sometimes family come in grr, ready to throw down. And then the Lord, oh, it's so awesome to watch. His his word happens. Not always. Sometimes it doesn't it doesn't land like we pray it does, but sometimes it's like melting of the ice, just softening of the hearts, and the hugs. We're family. We're family. Love one another with brotherly affection. And then he says this, outdo one another in showing honor. (laughs) And I got to say, I don't like the ESV handling of this. I don't. Outdo just, it just, no matter how you try It feels like I'm competing to be better than you at showing honor, which is ironic and backwards. I know Paul has kind of a, he's kind of playing with words a little bit here, but let me give you two other translations, I think, that help us with this. Outdo or excel, maybe, would be a word. Uh, New American Standard is excellent. Give preference to one another in honor. I like that. That's the echo of of Philippians, really. Philippians 2. Uh, Consider others before yourselves think think of the other before you think of yourself or the christian standard bible this is excellent take the lead in honoring one another take the lead not as in like i'm doing better than all the rest of you no but i'm not waiting around to show honor i want to lead out in showing honor Hmm. what does it mean to show honor to show honor well, young people, this is something in our culture that has sadly been drifting for a long time now. But one of the ways you show honor to the people who are older than you is to regard them, to respect them, to, to esteem them, and, and, and value them. Just because they're older doesn't mean they're, they're, they're uh, what's the word, uh, irrelevant, Right? There's a respect for our elders that we're called to. Frankly, that's, that's all the way up, right? That's all the way up. You see that in Timothy, Paul telling the younger men, regard older men, speak to them in ways that show honor, not disrespect. One of the things that we show honor in is just simply, I see you. I see you. And you matter you know what? You matter. This is where love is happening too, right? There's love taking place here. And then when something in their life displays the fruit of God's work in them, point it out. Tell them, I see evidence of God at work in you. I see you growing. The way that you you spoke up there, what you said here, the way that you care for your wife, how you responded when your child was unruly, good job. Good job. My wife and I laugh because whenever we go to Uncle Bruce and Aunt Jody's house in Louisville, it is a overwhelming flood of compliments. I, I don't think we know anybody that can compliment more than my aunt, uh, Aunt Jody, um, Uncle Bruce's wife. Uh, she, she is just, it's not fake either, it's real. Like, oh, that's just awesome, that's so good. Wonderful job there. And after a while, you're like, okay, okay, tone it down, will you? <laughs> tone it down. Don't hesitate for the glory of God to show honor with your words. Sometimes people will say this. They'll be like, listen, I don't want to puff you up. I don't, wanna, I don't want you to be proud. Don't, you don't have to say that stuff. You don't have to say that. Don't, don't allow your fear of pride to prevent your words of showing honor. Trust the Lord to land those words as glorifying to Him. And so a lot of times I'll say, man, I just see God working in your life. There's a way to say it that shows that He's the one doing it, but I see it and it's awesome. He's growing you. It is amazing to me, in our day, how blatantly sometimes appreciation and gratitude are just not spoken. Just uh, as believers, this should be our vocation. Like, we should be so quick to appreciation, to express gratitude. As sinners who are filled with pride, it's very hard to give a compliment. It's very hard to build up because you're spending all your time building yourself up and defending that from other people who maybe threaten that. But as Christians, when we're called into humility compliments just flow they should just flow from us to one another good job guys awesome job thank you for what you do i appreciate you good job i mean flowing constantly so much so that they say will you tone it down a little will you just kind of stop with that already okay outdo one another in showing honor transforming how we serve verse 11 do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. This is an interesting three-pronged command. Do not be slothful in zeal. We talked about zeal last week, just briefly. This is passion, that urgency, that, that excitement, right? Don't be slothful in that, but be fervent in spirit. Slothful brings this to mind, okay, okay? Friends, look how hairy that thing is. Some of the wives are like, husband, I won't go there. (laughs) This is not the Christian life. That is not what we're called to. We, We are not called to slow, mechanical, lazy, atrophied, yawn of a Christian life. One of the sad things that can happen to a church is that they fall into this. There are times, even on sabbatical, where we visited some churches where we were, and you walk in and it felt about like that looks. Is God honored with atrophied zeal? Is he honored with apathy? And a yawn? It's convicting, and we have to fight this. This is why they're commands, friends. They're they're here. Sure, yes, the week is hard. We come in sometimes Sunday. We're worn out. We're beat down. But when you come to worship, it should exceed anything you've ever experienced. At whatever they call the stadium where the Seahawks play now, right? It's, it should exceed the level of excitement and enthusiasm and joy. When you hit those doors, it is on. We're together with the family. Wouldn't miss it. Jonathan Edwards had 70 resolutions to live by. This is my favorite. Resolved to live with all my might while I do live. He was the opposite of the sloth. That man, he lived and then he died. Went out with a bang. Enthusiasm, passion, fervor, eagerness, intensity. Christian, be intense for the glory of God. Dedication dogged determination. Do your coworkers see this in you, Christian, when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to personal holiness, when it comes to the mission that is yours and mine? This is who we are, and this is who we are to be. Where do we draw all this energy from? Where do we get the fire that burns in this way? The answer is the gospel, it's the gospel. It's the same source every time. When we tap down to get love, it's the gospel. When we reach down to show honor, it's the gospel. When we need enthusiasm and zeal, it's the gospel. How could we do any less? One of the things that strikes me is how he landed this. Serve the Lord. I feel like that's as much a reminder as a command. You are serving the Lord all of your life to the glory of God. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing in the middle of the week, insignificant as it may seem, you are serving the Lord. Zeal and passion are evangelistic tools to show that what we have experienced and are experiencing, it's real. And it is awesome. God will use that in your life as a magnet to pull people in. What do you have, man? What is it that you have? It's funny you ask. I can't wait to tell you. Hmm. Transforming how we respond. Verse 12. Oh, what a verse this is. This is a good one to memorize. Not hard to memorize. Rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. The word there is is an active. It's rejoicing in hope. It's it's an ongoing. This is what we're doing. We're rejoicing in hope. And frankly, the entire Christian life is rejoicing in hope. What is your focus in this life? Well, we walk with one eye here and one eye on eternity. We constantly have to keep an eternal perspective. Everything we experience here is 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 fading to glory. So how we live, what we do, the things that matter, the things that don't, all of that is informed by that word, hope. You could say it this way, the certainty of our future is the joyful confidence of our lives, come what may. Okay, so if we feel the political world shaking and things don't go the way we had hoped and voted, well, We rejoice even still. Don't despair, Christian. It may be that that eschatology we studied together in Revelation is getting even closer. We're called to be faithful and do what we can and be active and and share influence, and certainly that's going to affect the world greatly. When God pulls His church, that influence is gone, and things go to hell in a handbasket in a hurry. While we're here, we do what we can, but we are not going to make this into some utopian kingdom. It's going to get worse. Don't let your hope be shaken. Rejoice. Rejoice. There is joy in that word rejoice. The Christian life is not just one of love. It's one of joy. Unshakable, confident joy. And it's a command. <laughs> I love it when, when the Lord commands us to do things like this. Rejoice, always. How about that one? First Thessalonians 5. He goes on, be patient in tribulation. Oh, how easy it is to read that command. How hard it is to obey it. Be patient in tribulation. Patience and hope go together. They're inseparable Patience and waiting go together. They're also inseparable. We've, a lot of times we find ourselves waiting. Kathleen, I commend you. I commend you for your patience. I see God at work in your life. She was on her way out the door, ticket in hand, ready to go, and the Lord slammed on the brakes and said, not yet. There's medical testing to be done, and it's taken time. And we sat down and, and talked with her recently, and that's hard. That's, that's the furnace of of learning to wait and trust Him. Some of you are dealing with medical issues. Some of you are dealing with wavered children. All kinds of situations. Be patient in tribulation. My God is sovereign, Romans 8. My God is good, Romans 8. My God is at work, Romans 8. And you could even finish that with, my God has promised. He has promised, Right? Cling to those while you wait and rejoice. Number three, be constant in prayer. I love that God has given like a a pressure relief valve for the soul. When we are feeling the the challenge of of persecution or of trials and situations, we're not just called to just, you know, suck it up. Just deal with it. Just hold it. No, we have this, this way that we can express our dependence. I think of it this way. Our trust has a voice and God is all ears. Our trust has a voice. That's what prayer is. It's verbal trust. I look to you. I need you. I depend upon you. Come help me, Lord. Equip me. I I, I, I express my trust. Anytime you're thinking of prayer, you think of at least two categories. One is a relational connection. We have a personal relationship with God. We are in relationship. It's one of the beautiful gifts. The greatest gift of the gospel is that we know Him in love. But it's more than just relationship. Sometimes people will say, well, prayer is all about God changing us. That's true, but that's not all. Prayer is powerfully effective because it is participatory causation. When we pray, God ordains to use those very prayers to bring about his purposes. So prayer matters. It it changes things. James 5. The prayer of a righteous man is strong in its working. It's powerful in its working. So don't just pray with a fatalistic thought, well, Lord, you're sovereign, it doesn't really matter what I say or do. That's not true. That prayer is as ordained as what God has chosen to bring about as the effect of that prayer. So pray in relationship and pray to the God of all power who ordains those prayers. How can prayer be constant? This is an amazing command. Be constant in prayer. Well, you have to sleep, right? I mean, how do you pray constantly as you sleep? Well, you don't. Constant prayer, I think, is best understood this way. It's right there. I mean, just just the tiniest little thing, and I'm praying, right? So I'm driving down the road this week, and I'd look over to my left. I love my commute. I absolutely love it. The Lord thrills my heart constantly with those mountains, and Before I realize it, I'd look to the left, and I am exalting the God of those mountains. It's right there. Bam. It's happening. I didn't even think about it. I'm praying. Or earlier in the week, I'm sitting on the couch. The Lord brought someone to mind. Stop what you're doing. Pray. Do that. I mean, let prayer be so automatic. So right there, you're you're walking with him. You're you're acknowledging his presence. And as soon as something happens, I'm praying, talking doesn't mean that you have to pray and not work. It means that as you live your life, you're just constantly talking to him, depending upon him. Okay, transforming how we give, verse 13. This is an echo uh, of last week as well. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Now, this is in particular targeting brothers and sisters, okay? So thinking about the, the way that we decided to go with Ukraine. We could have gone just kind of general broad stroke, um, you know, Red Cross or something like that. What we wanted to do is find a ministry, a church connected way to give to fellow believers who need that, that gift so that they can be blessed and be a blessing. Because at the end of the day, the gospel is at the very core. It's the greatest need of anyone, anywhere, ever is the gospel. So contribute to the needs of the saints. What does that look like? What is it it like here in this body? Well, some of the things I mentioned last week, but also this, it's just an outward focus. Again, one of the marks of maturity is I don't go through my life just inward worrying about my own needs. I'm looking outward and saying, where's the need? Is there someone around me that has a need? Sometimes it's financial, right? Other times it's relational, medical. Sometimes it's just time, they need, they need, they need people. Or they need some muscle, right? I love when that happens. Hey, does anyone, you know of any young guys that can, with a strong back, that can give me, head? yes, I do. Peyton Bender, right there, sitting dead center in the back row. Call Peyton, man. He'll throw that couch around. Right, Peyton? You've been lifting weights, man? That's what I thought. Good job. Outward focus, looking for needs, and then lovingly meeting those needs. Meet those needs. The one who knows the good he ought to do and fails to do it, to him, it is sin. That's a way to sin. If you know good you ought to do and you don't do it, you have sinned. So look for needs and then joyfully, generously, lovingly meet those needs. It's one of the most beautiful parts of being a church family. It's watching the family care for one another. It's awesome. Seek to show hospitality. Just a word on this. Um, We took a a class on this at a conference, and it blew me away. It changed the way I think about our home. It changed the way I think about inviting people over. Uh, It was so good, and so let me give you just a tight little sum up of it. He, He said so often when we have people over to our house, we fall into like Martha Stewart mode Everything has to be perfect and clean and in this right little spot. And, and the food, oh, the food has to be thought through and planned out. And, and the napkins, what are we going to do if we don't have the right? He said, forget all that. Sure, there's a time and a place to do that if you like to do that. People, it's people. That's the goal. For the believer, it's relationship. It's brother, sister, I see you. Come hang out. Let me bless you with an evening at my house. Come here. I want to care. I want to bless. I want to love. You know what? Get pizza. That's what I say. Just get pizza. Make food. The the lesser of the focus It's people. Now, unless they're gluten, you know, okay. (laughs) Love people. So to sum this up, I I just encourage you with this. Think of it this way. My home is a hospital. Hospitality sourced in the word hospital. I want to employ this location as a context for love. I want my home to be a hospital where people are loved, cared, prayed for, encouraged, built up. Think of it that way. And, you know, for some of you, you've got an apartment. I remember when we had an apartment. We, it was small. I remember the square footage, but it was small. We crammed people into that thing, and you know what? We made it work. Um, so think of the blessing that God has given you and find a way to bless people with it, right? Bless people with it. It doesn't have to be Martha Stewart. It doesn't have to be Martha. It can just be Mary, right? People, just people. I don't mean to knock on Martha Stewart, just to be clear. My home is a hospital, a blessing and a gift of God to be leveraged in love. So there's the rapid fire shotgun blast of commands for us. Oh, these are so tangible. We, can we put this to work this week? Are there things that we can take and, and grab onto and say, yes, let's go, let's go? Love God, the love of God and the family of God. These two things are inseparable. The one comes first, right? Go back to the call to worship here. In this is love, not that we have loved God. We were not the ones chasing down His love, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the wrath-satisfying payment, the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, good shepherd, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then as Jesus said in John 15, as I have loved you, so also love one another. Let's pray. Father, you have loved us. Oh, what an amazing love it is. We, we honor you and esteem you. We, we express our gratitude to you and our thanks. Thank you for loving us. I pray if there's anyone in here who has not received that love, Lord, that you would stir their heart today, open their eyes to see Jesus Christ and and turn them from their sins to, to repentance, to run to you and embrace you as Savior and Lord Jesus. Just shower that love in their hearts. And for all of us who have experienced that kind of love, I pray that that love would be the source of our love for one another, that we would grow even more so as a family, to be defined by this and that you would use that love to testify to the nations of how amazing your love is and the power that it has to change sinners like us. We honor you and give glory to you in Jesus' name, amen.